Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Bible, go with me today to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. While you're turning there, I have one additional announcement that uh, I was supposed to make and I forgot. Um, But April the 30th, someone say April the 30th. That is in two Sundays. I said two and threw up the number three. That's not confusing at all. Uh, In two Sundays, April 30th, we're having uh, our next church baptism. And I just want to put that on your radar for multiple reasons. Number one, if you're here and you've never been baptized, I would so encourage you to sign up. Uh, Go to the Next Step desk today. Go online and make the decision to be baptized. Baptism is not just a religious ritual, but it's actually the very first first commandment that Jesus gives every believer. It is to be baptized, to publicly declare your decision to follow Jesus for the rest of your life with all of your heart. There is power in baptism. I think think often about Jesus as he was baptized and he comes out of the water. What happened? The heavens were open. The Holy Spirit descended, uh, descended like a dove. And, and the voice of God said, today, This is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. There's power in baptism. So if you haven't been baptized, maybe you just haven't been baptized in in a long time or you haven't been baptized ever and you're like, I've been following Jesus for a number of years, but I'm not necessarily a new salvation. Uh, If you've never been baptized, whatever the situation, I'd encourage you, get baptized. It is significant. It is powerful. But also I want to let you know, because April 30th, we're going to be celebrating baptism. And how many of you know, it's not a party if the whole family is not there. And so I just mark your calendar, be here April 30th, as we celebrate with our brothers and sisters who are publicly making a decision to put Jesus as the Lord of their life and to follow him. Can I get an amen? So April 30th. First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse one through two. Uh, we're starting a brand new series today that we've entitled, I've Got Questions. I've Got Questions. And the reason that we're starting this series uh, is because we are living in a day and an age where there seems to be more people asking questions and more questions being asked than maybe ever before. Now, that's not to say that Uh, We are the first people in all of history to have questions. That wouldn't be true at all. Uh, There have been questions since the beginning of time. But something's happening right now in our culture where it seems like, at least if you're paying attention, it seems like the, the, the kinds of questions that are being asked and the way questions are being asked, it's changing. We're living in a very unique point in history where, yes, we've always had questions, but there seems to be a shift and a turn right now in our culture where not only do more people than ever before have questions, and not only are there more questions than ever before, but the kinds of questions, and and, and dare I say, the spirit behind the types of questions that are being asked, it's changing. And we're going to see in a moment in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, that there's actually a reason uh, why, why that's happening. But I kind of want to tell you at at, at the start, um, this will most likely be a multiple part series. Uh, We'll probably take the the, the next number of months and do this series in multiple parts. Um, And I'm telling you that because in this first part of the series, these next four weeks, um, it's actually not our goal to answer any specific question or address any one specific hot topic. Um, we, we, we do want to make opportunity uh, at some point for people to be able to ask very specific questions at some point as the Lord leads, we probably will uh, address certain specific hot topics, but I'm, I'm telling you that because I want you to know that the, the, the goal of this first part of the series, it really is to lay a foundation for, for how we are to posture our heart and our lives And how we are to approach and search for for truth and answers with questions that we we have. A little bit of a preview in case you want to know where we're going. Uh, Today I'm going to talk about two things. I'm going to talk today about uh, just kind of a brief sketch overview of where we are in our culture. 
what's happening in our culture today and why are we, we, we seeing the questions and the, the, uh, the, the spirit behind the questions that we're seeing. Uh, and I want to talk about today how we are, just right f- from the start, how we are to posture our heart so we can appropriately go to God with the questions we have and allow him to reveal truth to us. Uh, next week, we're going to ask a question that I think is really important. We're going to ask this question next week. How do I know I can trust the Bible? Can I trust the Bible? A uh, little bit of a spoiler, but we will conclude today by talking about how the starting place for all of our questions is to ask the question, and that is, what does the Bible say? Well, we can't confidently say that's our starting point if we don't even know we can really trust the Scripture. So we're going to ask the question next week. How do we know we can trust the Bible? How do we know that it's actually God's Word? How do we know that it's reliable? How do we know that it actually is the final authority? And then uh, in weeks two and three, Pastor Gil is going to pick up in this series, and Pastor Gil is going to talk about God as Creator. Uh, God as creator and originator of all things and the implications that that has on the answers and conclusions we are coming to. And then lastly, um, as we conclude this first part, Pastor Bill is going to talk about eternity and the realities of heaven and hell and the implications that, that eternity and the reality of heaven and hell, the implications th- those have on the way we search for truth and how we come to the conclusions we, we come to. And again, the, the goal of this series, it's not in this first part to answer any specific hot topic issue, although I promise you uh, we are at work making a space in place so that we can have a space in place to ask specific questions because we want to be a resource. However, our goal is to lay a foundation because how, how many of you know that the questions that you had yesterday might not be the questions you have today? How many of you know the questions you were wrestling with when you were 18, 19 are not the questions you're wrestling with maybe today? How many of you know the questions you have today might not be the questions you're actually wrestling with in six months or in six years? And if we don't have a foundation for how we approach questions and how we wrestle with questions, well, we might solve this issue, but we're just setting ourselves up to have a lot of other issues that, that are still unsolved. So that being said, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, it's where we're going to start today. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. That is not the only version. I've actually even heard people say it's not the best version. It just happens to be the version I'm reading from today. So if you have that version, you can read along. If not, it's on the screen. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Go back with with me to verse one. I want to read it one more time. Paul writes in verse one, now the Holy Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, pause, we are definitely in the last days. I don't know if we're in the last of the last days, but, but in scripture, They believed they were in the last days. And so Paul is writing like in these last days, how many of you know that if the last days were thousands of years ago, we definitely in the last days today. So he's talking about current culture. He says, in these last days we're living in the Holy Spirit expressly says, there will be some who depart from the faith, who, who depart from a confession and a life that is devoted to Jesus as Lord and Savior, as God, as, cre- of, as creator of all things. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to, the two things I want you to see more than anything today, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, down the title of the sermon that we're going to preach this morning or that we're uh, we're doing across all of our campuses is simply this, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? It's 9.42 in the morning, yet some people look like they need an extra cup of coffee. So just to make sure we're all awake today, look at your neighbor and just say, what in the world is going on? What, What in the world is going on? One of my favorite things, by the way, as a uh, public communicator is, is when you're like, hey, look at your neighbor or, you know, say this. And, and I love the person that just looks at you like, make me. I was like, all right, I see you. I see you. Um, as many of you know, my wife and I, we have four children, uh, eight, six, 
four and one and a half. Yes, we need lots of prayer and lots of caffeine. Um, we need both of those things. And uh, one of the things that you really need, all the parents, you'll understand this. When, when you have small kids, one of the things you desperately need is you need babysitters. Can I get an amen for the need for babysitters? Come on. And, and when, when it comes to babysitters, um, I have a very specific criteria of what I consider a good babysitter to be. And, and it might not be what you think, because you might go, well, yeah, like, absolutely. Like someone who's trustable and they're reliable and someone who's going to take care of the kids. And, you know, they're, you know, they're going to love your kids and watch your kids. And they're going to, you know, be, be someone the kids want around and, and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's all a given to me. Like if I can't trust you and you're not reliable and you're not going to take care of my kids, and if my kids are screaming as I leave because they're afraid of you, I promise you, you're not getting the gig. Like I'm not calling you, we're not paying you money. And so all of that to me, that's, that's a given. But I have two criteria, and at times my wife and I disagree on this criteria, but it is my criteria, and I will hold my criteria as my criteria this morning for, for a good babysitter. Um, the, the, the first one that I'll tell you is not the most important, but it is important, um, and that is that when I return home, that my house is clean. Now, now I don't mean that you clean my house. No, 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 I'm, like, like, we'll, we'll clean the house. Um, if you want to go the extra mile, I'll show you where the supplies are, but that's not what I mean. What, what I mean is, if you want to bring a whole art studio to my house, and you want to bring seven crafts that you found on Pinterest to do with my kids, to take care of them and entertain them, like, that's amazing. I applaud you. All I ask is that when I get home, I do not know that it ever existed. I don't want to come home and clean an art studio. I don't want to come home and have to deal with the ramifications of an art project that you tried to do with an eight, six, four, and one-year-old. That's, that's on you. That's not on me. But my, my number one criteria, like for a good babysitter, this is where my wife and I disagree at times, but it is that when I come home, my children are asleep. I, I'm, I'm not interested in, in going out on a restful, hopefully romantic date and coming home for an hour and a half of bedtime. I'm not interested in that. I purposely will stay out later because I want to come home and I want the rest and the relaxation and hopefully the romance to continue and bedtime does not help that. I'll never forget, it's when uh, Evelyn was probably three or four years old. And um, I actually told two people that babysit our kids regularly this morning. I said, hey, I'm going to tell a story. It's not about you, so don't freak out. Um, although it might apply to one of them. Um, but it's not about them. <laughs> but I'll never, never forget, uh, we had someone babysit. And it, it was, I, I remember it was 930, because Evelyn, she's three or four. And it's like, this is way past her bedtime. She's like sound asleep by now. I'll never forget walking in the door, assuming that all is well. And as I walk in the door and my foot enters, my toe almost gets run over. As I find my three or four-year-old Evelyn, our, our firstborn, with frosting all over her face, her hair out of control, screaming on what is a clear sugar high, riding a tricycle in circles around my house. I open that door like, what in the world is going on? You're supposed to be asleep, and here I'm, I'm coming home to the end of a gingerbread house creation gone wrong as she's eaten all the candy, put all the frosting on her face, and she's riding a tricycle in circles. What is going on here? I tell you that story because it is a maybe humorous way uh, to introduce this thought that for many of us, uh, well, I should say, if you're anything like me, you've asked the question over the last couple of years at least once or twice, What's going on right now? What in the world is happening in our culture? Maybe you've sat down with a friend that you once were close to only to find that their current worldviews and current life is nothing like it used to be. Maybe you've sat down with a neighbor or someone at coffee only to realize that we couldn't be further from seeing eye to eye on some issues that I think are like actually really, really Important. Maybe you've scrolled social media, or you've read an article, or you've watched the news. And in the last couple of years, more and more, if you're like me, you're scratching your head going, what in the world is going on in our culture, in our country? I mean, I'm so aware because I still am very involved in our youth ministry. 
And I'm so aware that the things and the issues, the questions that are being asked in middle school and high school are nowhere near the things that were going on in middle school and high school, even, you know, 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago when, when I was in high school. Like, it's, the world is changing. And to that question, what in the world is going on? Where are all these questions and, and, and the questioning of things we used to hold true? If we're wondering what's happening, well, Paul actually tells us in 1 Timothy 4, uh, 1 through 2, exactly what's happening. Paul, again, in 1 Timothy 1, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this, and we'll just read verse one. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter four, verse one, he says, now the Holy Spirit expressly says, he says clearly that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Again, key phrase I pointed out earlier, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I like the way the New Living Translation says, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, in the New Living Translation, the Apostle Paul says this, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. Some will turn away from what the Bible actually says. Some will turn away from what the gospel actually is. They will turn away from the true faith, listen to this, and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. In other words, Paul says, you want to know what's going on? Well, in the last days, there will actually be deceptive spirits and doctrines or teachings that are inspired by the demonic. Now, that, that may cause you to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know about that. Because for, for many of us, when we think about demons or we think about the demonic, we, we think about like the scariest movie we've ever seen. Some classic horror movie. Um, I, first of all, I don't watch scary movies. One, because the Bible says don't play with that stuff. But secondly, because I'm a chicken. Someone recently recommended a TV show. I'm a, I'm a grown man. I'm almost 35 years old. And 10 minutes in, I turned all the lights on. I turned it off and I'm like, Jenny, where are you? Because I was freaked out. I remember in, in seventh grade, I went to a movie with some friends. I didn't know what we were seeing. And I walked into a movie theater with friends, which don't do that if you don't know what you're seeing. And we watched this movie called The Ring. Scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And, and, and for a lot of us, when we think about demons or, 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 or the demonic, we, we think about these classic horror films or thrillers. We think about something like the exorcism. And, and, and yet I'd like to tell you this morning that the enemy, he's much craftier and much more subtle and much more deceptive than that. Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, I believe it is, the, the, the Bible says this, that, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. But before we just think classic scary movie, let's recognize the Bible says actually rebellion, the spirit of rebellion. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I want to do and no one can tell me anything. The spirit of rebellion, it's as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. That, that actually things that are demonically inspired and deceptive sometimes sound and feel and look a lot more like that stubbornness and rebellion that's in our heart. I'm not just trying to be playful, but that sure does sound like American culture to me. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me how, how to live my life. No one has the right to even question the truth that I believe. No one, no one even has the place to even open a conversation about who I am and what I believe and how I live. It is, it's rebellion. It's stubbornness. It is as idolatry and witchcraft, the Bible says. And Paul tells us very clearly, in the last days, just a heads up, something to be aware of on multiple levels, there will be deceptive spirits and teachings and doctrines that have been demonically inspired that will look and sound and feel not like the truth, but a perversion of the truth that is close enough to, to scratch our itching ears. And many people, 
turn and many people will fall away. I, I would like to this morning put, put some language to this and um, I'll, I'll say kind of just from the start, I'm not an expert in this field. And so if you are an expert, uh, please be gracious with me. And if I say anything that maybe could be rearranged, uh, please graciously come and tell me, um, but don't stand up and shake your head at me. <clears throat> Let's talk about that afterwards. But, uh, but I will say some of the language I want to put to this, it, it is academically researched and backed. And it's not just my ideas or our teaching team's ideas. These are actually things that are happening right now. So I want to put some language. And so forgive me for a second uh, for, for maybe being a little heady or a little academic. Um, I, I want, want to put language to, to the culture we're living in, which is this, that we are living in a postmodern culture. You might, you might say, Brandon, what is uh, postmodern? I'm going to read this to you. Postmodernism... It came about in the 1950s as postmodern philosophers emerged and begin to conclude that there is, listen, no absolute truth. In other words, one cannot really know anything absolutely. Their conclusion was this, that all, someone say all, that all existing absolutes and truths, all existing realities that are known are simply a product of Judeo-Christian values that help to construct Western civilization, listen to this, for the purpose of the elite to gain and maintain power. Thus, all existing absolutes and truths are to be seen as power plays and should be questioned. This went far past religion and government and found its way into the fabric of our culture and every part of our life, even down to the way we talk and the words we use. Now, fast forward the tape 20 years, the 1970s, something called applied postmodernism began to emerge. And, and applied postmodernism, I'll read this to you. Applied, applied postmodernism came along in the 1970s and took postmodernism one step further. While postmodern philosophers concluded that one must be aware of existing absolutes being a power play, applied postmodern philosophers say that all existing absolutes must be destroyed. In other words, we don't just need to be aware of these, we need to destroy them altogether. And their conclusion was this, that the influence of Judeo-Christian values that have shaped Western civilization have woven themselves so deep into the fabric of our culture and our lives it is impossible to erase them. Thus, the only solution is to seek to destroy them all together. Just in, in a nutshell, I'll read you postmodernism in a nutshell, because this really does all, all connect. Uh, postmodernism is in a nutshell is this, that all existing truths and perceived realities are a product of Judeo-Christian values and are simply power plays designed by the elites in order to gain and maintain power. This is what postmodern philosophers and thinkers and writers, they came to this conclusion that one cannot really know anything as absolute truth. There's so many fascinating articles and stories and, and, and things that have been, been written about this that would absolutely blow your mind how, 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 how far this goes, or at least it absolutely just shook me. But postmodernism says you can't really know anything absolutely. No, all, all the realities and truths and absolutes that we know, well, well, well they're just a product of this Judeo-Christian uh, way of thinking that was constructed in the West so that those in power could gain power and maintain power. And, and while this is what postmodern thinkers concluded, applied postmodernism came along in the 1970s, and here, here's in a nutshell, that applied postmodern says this, that because these Judeo-Christian Judeo values uh, were set in place by the elite for the purpose of gaining and maintaining power and are woven too deeply into the fabric of our society to be erased, they must be destroyed altogether. So postmodern thinkers say, we just need to be aware of this. Hey, everybody, public service announcement, just be aware this is happening. And 20 years later, applied postmodern came, came, came about. And just like it sounds, these writers, thinkers, philosophers said, no, no, no. We just need, don't just need to be aware of this, but we need to seek to destroy this altogether and bring things back to, quote unquote, how they should be. One applied postmodern thinker, um, I, I forget his name, but he, he writes this, that, that kindness is all that we have. And kindness is this. It is to celebrate and affirm another's self-realized reality and truth 
and their experience. Hey guys, the only thing we have, we, we have no reality, we have no absolute, the only thing we have is kindness. The only thing that we have is love. And what is kindness and love? It is to simply affirm and celebrate another person's self-realized truth and perceived reality through experience. Now, insert for a second this, this thing called deconstruction. Um, if, if you've never heard this word, um, deconstruction is a pre- predominant thing right now that is happening in Christian culture. Um, it's a very, very popular thing. Um, it's happening a lot in uh, a younger generation, but it's something that, that is happening. It's something we, ha- we have to be aware of. And, and I want to kind of give you a couple thoughts about deconstruction, and I promise you this will all make sense and tie together. But here's what you need to know. Um, people think about deconstruction as a Bible word, as a growth word. Uh, many people that talk about or will say, I'm deconstructing, they talk about it and think about it in a way that says, yeah, I'm, I'm deconstructing. In other words, um, I'm, I'm putting aside some old ways of thinking that maybe weren't, weren't right and weren't accurate, and I'm, I'm adopting new ways of thinking about life and God and truth so that I can become a more mature and a more genuine, authentic follower of Jesus. But what we have to know is the deconstruction actually isn't a Bible word or a growth word. Uh, people talk about it like it's a process of maturity where people are unlearning ways of thinking about God, faith, and life and maturing into more enlightened, authentic versions of uh, Christian uh, reality and following Jesus. H- however, here's what we need to know. Deconstruction is not, someone say is not. Deconstruction is not a Bible word. It's not a growth word. If it were the process of unlearning bad ideas and adopting good ideas, there would be a biblical case for it. That's called transformation through the renewing of your mind. Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, listen, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. You don't have it all together. Rather, allow the word of God to renew and wash your mind. And through renewing your mind to God's word, allow your life to be transformed. And if this is what deconstruction was, there would be a biblical case for it. However, it is not. What deconstruction is, this is quoting from an academic source, it is a borrowed word with a borrowed worldview. It's, it's not taken from the Bible. It's a borrowed word from a borrowed worldview. And in a nutshell, here's what deconstruction is. Deconstruction in a nutshell, it is the embracing of postmodern and, and applied postmodern ideologies by a believer that leads to questioning, problematizing, and ultimately the rejection of God as creator of all, Jesus as Lord, and the Bible as final authority. Deconstruction, in a, in a nutshell, it's not a Bible word. It's not a Christian word or a growth word. It's a borrowed word with a borrowed worldview that is, is the embracing of postmodern and applied postmodern modern ideologies Eventually, what it leads to is the rejection of God as creator of all, as Jesus as Lord and Savior, and the Bible as final authority. We are living in a world, we're living in a culture right now, where whether you see it, whether you recognize it, this is what is happening all around us. This is what is happening all around us. You you might say, and this is not the sermon, but you might say, Brandon, how does someone Like, how does someone go from being solid to being here? Um, uh, Writers and thinkers on on this concluded it's a a twofold thing. Number one, it's over-secularization. Let's just think about it for a second. All the minutes that we have in a day, all the hours we have in a day, for, for a second, let's think about how much of them are spent mass consuming secular culture mass-consuming ideologies and philosophies and ways of thinking that are subtly brought to us through movies, music, literature, social media, all the things we, in mass quantity, believe that we are consuming every single day. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you got to be really careful to guard your heart. Why is it, by the way, that you and I, we think we're smarter than the Bible? By the way, myself included. Because there are areas of our life that we go, well, I know what the Bible says, but not me though. Totally, bro. I know Proverbs 4.23 says, above all others, guard your heart, for out of your heart flows your whole life. And I totally know the Bible says that what we consume ultimately uh, uh, 
creates who we are on the inside. I get that for you, man, but I'm good, bro. I'm so solid. I'm so strong. And you're foolish too. Because you think you are smarter than what the Bible tells us. This is just the way you were created as a human. That the content you consume ultimately becomes the content of your life and your character. The content you create. And, 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 And writers, what they say, thinkers on the subject, is that deconstruction happens, number one, because we are an over-secularized American Christian culture. That, yeah, we, we love Jesus, but we love everything else too. And secondly, because there's a lack of discipleship. Because there, there's a lack of, of people who have a hunger and, and a desire, a lack of pastors and churches and teachers in our Western culture that put the emphasis more on discipleship than they do on an amazing product that looks good online. And because of the lack of discipleship and the over-secularization of our Christian culture, hook, line, and sinker, what Paul writes about, is happening right before our very eyes. The people all over, little by little, are embracing this applied postmodern ideology that says, yeah, no, I mean, you, you can't really know anything really concretely and absolutely. We, we, we need to question it. We need to question everything. We, we need to start questioning everything that we knew to be true. And ultimately what happens is there is a rejection of God as God, Jesus is Lord, and the Bible is final authority. I'm telling you, I've had, I've had conversations in the last six months with, with people that I, I used to go, I aspire to be like you one day. Sitting down over a cup, a cup of coffee going, wow, you, you don't even believe the Bible's true anymore. You, 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 you don't even really believe that Jesus is Lord anymore. It, it's happening all around us. Now, what does this have to do? What does this have to do with asking questions? Let me give you three thoughts quickly. Number one is this, that we have to realize there is a difference in having questions and questioning. But we just have to, at a foundational level, realize there is a big difference in having questions and questioning. Let me, let me read this to you. Questions from a biblical standpoint, questions, good, authentic, genuine questions, they come from a deep love and commitment to Jesus and a desire to know him more and walk in his ways uprightly. They seek truth and understanding from the source of truth and understanding. I think, I think about Nicodemus in John chapter three, Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus in the night. He doesn't want to know he's got questions, but he comes and he has genuine questions. Jesus, I'm, I'm kind of getting the sense that you might be the one we've been waiting for. And I'm, I've, I've got some questions. Questioning on the other hand, this questioning spirit of our day and of our culture, it comes from skepticism, individualism, and, and seeks to subvert authority, pre-existing truth, and seeks to break free from boundaries. It's, it's the religious leaders we read about over and over again who had lots of questions, didn't they? Lots of questions. But none of them came from the posture of heart that sought to know and honor and follow. No, they came from a questioning spirit that sought to subvert the authority of, of Jesus to establish their own individuality and break free from the boundaries Jesus was trying to bring as the way to follow God authentically. By the way, if you, if you have kids, like you know, right? There's a difference in questions and questioning, like, like, you, like you know. Um, we, we were somewhere, uh, this was a, a while ago, and I'm trying to be so unspecific, so no one's like, I think you're talking about so-and-so. We were somewhere, and a bunch of kids were playing, and my kids were being insane. And I said, hey, guys, come here. Hey, so like, where we are right now, like, we're not going to do this. And one of my kids goes, well, why? Genuinely was going, like, I, like, I don't understand why. And so I explained it to him, and they, and they run off. And one of their friends comes to me. Excuse me. Mr. Brandon, yeah. He goes, why don't you let your kids have any fun? And my first thought was, why am I not allowed to punch you? Because that would be so, like, just because, wha-bam. But it's like, we we all know the difference, right? I mean, if you got kids, you know the difference between a genuine question 
that, that recognizes that you, as the parental figure, has authority and there, there should be honor there. And genuinely, I'm seeking to know and under... There's a difference in a question and questioning. This, this, this matters because, number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Because I think we need to realize that how we ask questions, it actually does determine the answers we get and, and, and where they come from. That actually the way that we ask questions really is a huge deal. Because the way we ask questions determines where the answers come from and the answers that we get. We don't have time for all the scriptures, so if you're a furious note taker, uh, you can write all this down, or it may be in the Bible app, you, you can go look. But um, some, some scriptures just to think about, first of all, 1 Peter 5.8 says this, that we have an enemy who is looking for every opportunity to devour. We have an enemy who, like a lion, the Bible describes him, underneath the tall grass is waiting and stalking and looking for every opportunity to devour. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 19, we live in a world and a culture that's under the persuasion and perversion of the evil one. Hear me this morning. We have an enemy and we live in a culture that they are waiting and they are looking for every opportunity to give you the answers to the questions you have. Oh, the enemy is looking to sit down over a cup of coffee with you and to give you all the answers to all the hot topic questions of life. He's waiting, but hear me. What you will find is not truth, but a perversion of truth. Yet in the same way we serve a God who all through scripture tells us and reveals to us that he too is waiting looking and even longing to give us wisdom and revelation and understanding and the answers to all the questions of our heart. The Bible says a couple of references for you. James 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and freely to all. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, he says, you have a good heavenly father. And I'm telling you, if anyone would ask, they would receive. If anyone would seek, they would find. If anyone would, do would knock, the door would be open. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 2, 6, that from God's mouth comes wisdom and understanding and knowledge. God is waiting and longing to answer the questions we have. However, hear, hear me this morning. The way we posture our heart, the way we approach God actually does matter. It actually does matter. A couple of scriptures to think about. James 4, 6 says this, that God, he gives grace to the, to the humble. That God, he actually resists the proud, but he gives grace. Did you know that grace, that, that grace can actually be seen and found in wisdom, revelation, and understanding? That God opening our eyes and giving us the wisdom we need, giving us understanding and revelation and giving us answers. Actually, the Bible teaches that's a form of grace. And the Bible says, do you know who God gives grace to? God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He opens up his arms and his heart and gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 9, 10 says this. You just can't get around this one. It says that the fear of the Lord, it's not the end. It's the beginning point of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, the Bible says, do you want to know where the starting place is? For, for, for God opening his heart and God opening your eyes to have wisdom and revelation and truth that comes, the starting point, it's the fear of the Lord. It's a reverence and an honor that says, God, you are God. I'm not, I'm not God. You are God. Paul, Paul says that questions are, are good. Philippians 2.12, he goes, listen, like, Questions aren't bad. Questions are good. In other words, he goes, listen, you, you should be working out your own salvation. The latter half of this verse, work out your own salvation 
Ask questions, process, seek, investigate, seek, work out your own salvation. But listen to what he says, Philippians 2.12. He says, with fear and trembling, work out your own salvation. Ask all the questions you have and seek understanding, but from a posture of heart that says, God, you're God and I'm not. Who am I to think that in my 35 years of being alive, that I've somehow got the corner, corner market and I've figured out, no, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Things that I think I know, I don't actually know. I need you through your spirit to open my eyes. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Help me to know, God, how do I process and how do I work my way through this thing that's in my face right now? I was to do so with fear and with trembling. See, it, it matters how we posture our heart because the way we ask questions, it determines where we get our answers from and the answers that we get. And, and, and lastly, I'll conclude with this. We have to realize, number three, uh, and worship team, you can, you can come and join me. Number three is this, that the starting place for all of our questions really is this. It is to ask the question, what does the Bible say? You might be here and you might be like, man, you got me, pastor. You got me. Because I came to church today only because you said you were doing a series called I Got Questions. And man, do I got some questions. And you haven't even told me how to answer my questions yet. Well, give me, give me a couple minutes and I'll maybe try, try to give you a starting point. First of all, the posture of heart really does matter. Um, it's important that we have the right posture of heart and we realize there's a difference in questions and questioning and, and, and some, some practical application. Well, you, you could start by asking God. Again, we won't read these, but just some thoughts and references. Again, James 1.5 says, if anybody lasts wisdom, let him ask. Let him go to God in prayer and ask. So what do I do with my questions? Well, you can ask God. Um, second thought, the Bible teaches us, for example, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You could go to pastors, leaders, friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord who are years down the road and say, hey, will you help me to know kind of some truth in these areas because I'm, I'm like, you, you can go to people. You, you can get in a connect group or surround yourself by godly community that's a safe place to process. For the Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. It's, there's a safety net in nothing good, my friends, happens in isolation. The Bible says man who isolates himself, he rages against all wise judgment. In other words, the Bible says this, like my terms, the man who isolates himself, he's a fool. He's an idiot. It's a stupid man right there who isolates himself for he seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. You can surround yourself by godly community. What about this one? You could just be quiet and wait. For, for we have record of men like Joseph in the New Testament who, who was struggling to find an answer to a situation he was in. And the Bible says that before he just made a decision, came to a conclusion that he thought about these things and he quietly pondered them in his heart. And all of these are viable next steps. Pray, ask God, um, search the scriptures daily. One, one scripture tells us, go and find men and women. You can ask the questions and surround yourself in godly community and, and be quiet and wait. But what we have to do first is the starting place. It's ask, asking the question, what does the Bible say? I'll tell you why, because Proverbs chapter two, verse six says this. Proverbs chapter two, verse six says, for the Lord gives wisdom. I love this part. And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Where do knowledge and understanding come from? The Bible says from the mouth of God. In other words, where, where does knowledge, where does understanding, where does truth come from? It comes from the word of of God. And he, here's why, just in case you're wondering, he, here's why this is the starting place. Because you might be like, well, Brandon, I'm not really a Bible guy, but like, I'll do the other thing. 
Like, I promise you, ne- next Friday, I have a day off. I'm going I'm to go out to Westminster Park. I'm going to get on the trail. I'm going to take off my shoes, just like feel really, really, really granola for a minute. And I'm going to just sit there and I'm just going to wait. And God might show up. But here's the danger in that. The Bible is our great safety net in that God will never, he will never say anything that contradicts what he's already said. And if you don't know what he said, go sit in nature with your shoes off and have some, have some, some, some granola. That's awesome. But if you don't know what God said, you, you don't know if the answers you're coming to and the conclusions you're finding is really the voice of God. It's bad pizza. It's lack of sleep. It's the berries that you shouldn't have eaten on your way up to the trail. You, you, you don't know. See, the Bible is the starting point because God will never say anything that contradicts what he's already said. There are so many things that we can do to seek God. Oh, we can pray, we can fast, we can wait, we can study, we can ask questions, we can get in good godly community. But the starting place of it all is asking the question, God, before I go do these 10 things, help me to know what you've already said about, about the matter. Because if I know what you've already said about the matter, then I now have a great foundation to hear your voice because you will never contradict anything you've already said. Well, how, how do I know the Bible is even true? Great question. We're going to talk about it next week. That's why the second part of our series, we're asking the question, how do I know the Bible's true? It's a great question, to be honest. There's no shame in that. That's a great question. And we have to know that we know that we know this is a reliable God-inspired book that has final authority on all issues of life. And next week, we're going to spend the whole sermon talking about how we know this and why we can be sure of this. But this week, as we conclude, I I, I want to ask you just this question. It's It's a question for you not to raise your hand or come forward necessarily, but I want to ask you this question. Um, j- just in, in the own pondering of, of your heart, c- can I ask you, what has the posture of your heart been lately? Because that's a really big deal. And I'm just telling you, I know because I've, I've been there in areas myself. I love Jesus. I'm trying to follow him with all of my heart. Yet, yet culture is, it's, it's steering me in some areas. And I found even my, in, in my own heart at times, Ah, it's not really so much that I have a question. It's that there's some, there's this rebellion and stubbornness and this, the spirit of the age that's creeping in. And my, my heart isn't so much genuinely postured to know truth as much as it is to question things that I'm being told. Can I, can I ask you this morning, where's the posture of your heart? Because God wants to show up God wants to meet you where you are and God wants to give you the answers, help you to find wisdom and revelation and bring concrete conclusion in areas that you need to move forward. But it starts by posturing our hearts before God. So can I ask, is your heart this morning one that is postured humbly before him? God, you're God and I'm not. In reverence and fear, I stand before you that you are God and I am not. And humbly, God, I bring my life before you to say, God, I need you to speak to me. There are some big looming questions that I'm facing, maybe in my own life. Maybe it's in my household. Maybe it's with my kids. Maybe it's with the, God, there's questions I don't have answers to before I cross my arms and come to conclusions on my own, God, I bow my knee to you. You said, God, that you give grace to the, to the humble. That the fear of the Lord is the starting point of wisdom. So God, I bow my knee to you today. And humbly I say, you are God. And in fear and reverence, I ask in the name of Jesus that you'd begin to speak to me. Is, is your heart postured like that? 
or through the over-secularization of our culture and of our day, through the mass consumption of media and books and technology and conversations, has there been this thing that's crept in? Yeah, I got some questions, but if, I'm, if, I, if I really break it down, it's because I just, I'm starting to get this questioning just spirit about me. Can I encourage you today as we examine the posture of our heart, that if there's any of that in you, that you would just make a decision today to repent. Repentance is just a change of mind. It's all it is. Repentance is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Repentance is just going, you know, I've been thinking this way. My heart's been postured this way. I'm going this way. And in the Bible it says, repent for the kingdom of God is at, is at hand. In other words, change your mind because God is here and all of his provision is now available. Would you close your eyes this morning and simply bow your head? As you are pondering and asking that question of yourself, of the Lord, Lord, is my heart humbly postured to, to really find truth or is there a questioning spirit in me? One of the things that I know is I know this, that the starting point of all of it, it is a decision to follow Jesus. It's a decision to first humble your heart and to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And so I just wanna give opportunity with every head bowed and every eye closed. If there's anybody here today, you've never made the decision the starting point of wisdom to confess Jesus as Lord. Maybe you're here today and you've made that decision, but it's been a long time. And if you're honest, your life looks nothing like that. And you want to today freshly commit your life to Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time with every head bowed and every closed. Would you simply just, just raise your hand? I wanna pray for you today. You simply just put your hand up, raise your hand. Okay, okay. So, so, so this morning, let's, let's pray this together. Lord, we collectively come before you and we humble our hearts. We collectively come before you today as a community, as a church family and say, God, we want to be ones that we not only have answers, but we're a resource to our world, to our friends, to our family, to help answer the big questions of life. And so God, before we even address big questions and hot topics, we ask you that you'd help us to lay a foundation. You'd help us to understand the days we're living in and to posture our heart humbly before you. Today, God, we repent of any pride. We repent today of any questioning spirit that might've crept up in us. And we make a decision today to say, we wanna in the fear of the Lord, humbly come before you, the one who gives wisdom and understanding. Would you stand to your feet with me today? And would you join me as we conclude our service today by singing a simple worship chorus? And then Kimberly will dismiss you here in just a second. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.